Hello and welcome back to the Eurofocus Football Podcast. On this week's episode, we're discussing all of last week's Champions League football, as well as recent results in this weekend's Premier League and across all of the European divisions. So the best place to start this week's episode is by talking about last Tuesday and Wednesday's Champions League fixtures. So on Tuesday night, we saw two very intriguing games. We saw Chelsea host Borussia Dortmund at Stamford Bridge. And I spoke about it on last week's podcast that I personally couldn't see Chelsea getting through over two legs, but I was taken completely by surprise last week. I thought they were brilliant on the night. Much, much better with the three at the back. A lot of positives to take. Obviously, we saw them win at the weekend away at Leicester. Enzo Fernandez was fantastic against Leicester, I must admit. But against Borussia Dortmund, uh, we saw the wing-backs a lot higher up the pitch. This does accommodate for the likes of Chilwell and Reese James, who is a fantastic all-round full-back. It allowed Sterling and João Felix to oper- operate in the in the half spaces where they are so effective. And I loved Sterling last Thursday, uh, Tuesday, sorry, against uh, Borussia Dortmund. Uh, he should have scored the first chance uh, that he did miss. Eventually did rifle the ball into the roof of the net, but he was very, very effective uh, on Tuesday night, as well as Kai Havertz, who I thought had a brilliant game. Missed a few chances, as well as his penalty before eventually uh, scoring the retake. But I thought Havertz was very influential on, on Tuesday night. And it's it, it's it's what Kai Havertz is about as a footballer, really. He's somebody that he, he isn't an out-and-out centre-forward, and we know that. And I think you'd be naive to think that he can operate as a number nine for Chelsea. But when he had Sterling and Felix around him in in the spaces where he could create link-ups, he, he was very, very impressive. Uh, Borussia Dortmund, I thought they missed Julian Brandt massively after he did go off in the first half. He's been one of uh, Borussia Dortmund's most influential players since they have returned from the World Cup. And it's, it restricts... Dortmund were massively restricted on Tuesday night because of Chelsea's three at the back. Uh, I thought that as, as a team that are so good in tight spaces, they they weren't up to their 100% standard that we have seen in recent weeks last week. But they Chelsea did... They, they, they did have to be wary of Dortmund. They did create chances. They are brilliant at getting bodies forward, which is a reason why they are such an obvious goal threat and we've seen that since the World Cup but I thought Chelsea were brilliant on the night Uh, probably should have scored a few more goals to be honest but I was massively massively impressed with Chelsea and it could be a turning point obviously we've seen them beat Leicester at the weekend and it could be that point in Graham Potter's tenure that really does change Chelsea's fortunes as I say brilliant win on Saturday against Leicester albeit a poor Leicester side with doubts about Brendan Rodgers future etc but yeah, I think it was a massive win for Chelsea, not just in terms of the Champions League and how important it was, but mainly just with how it can really, really kick them on into the latter stages of the season now and possibly a charge up the table. We don't know. Only time will tell in that. Uh, we also seen Benfica uh, host Club Brugge, and I thought, yet again, Benf- Roger Smith's Benfica are one of my uh, favourite teams to watch across Europe this season. Uh, Gonzalo Ramos... I wrote about him last week on the website. He was fantastic. Uh, brilliant two goals. I loved his first goal, the way that he shifted the ball onto his strong right foot and hammered it uh, into the back of the bruised net. But he was he was fantastic. His assist for Rafa Silva's goal shows yet again, as I spoke about the other day, his all-round ability, which I think can go unnoticed at times. But he was brilliant. And so was Antonio Silva. Uh, I was reading a lot about him on Twitter last week after the, after, during and after the game. And what what a talent he is. Uh, I think Benfica, uh, whoever they get in the quarterfinals, it, it, it's a good result for them, yet again, in the Champions League to reach their second successive quarterfinal stage. 
but I think they're a brilliant side and someone to keep your eye out in, into the latter stages, obviously. I think whilst they, they, do, they don't have the overall talent in their squad that I think a lot of the sides left do, but Roger Smith has got a really, really good setup at Benfica. Uh, something which I spoke about uh, a few months ago uh, on the website and obviously last week when speaking about Ramos, but I'm looking forward to watching Benfica again uh, in the latter stages. Uh, on Wednesday night, we saw Bayern Munich host Paris Saint-Germain and whilst this wasn't a classic Bayern performance in the first half, they, they did more than enough over the 90 minutes to get them over the line. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that, w w in a difficult tie like that, it's a very Bayern Munich thing to do, to just go on and get the win. They're, they're almost knockout specialists uh, in this stage of competitions. They were frustrating in the first half. Uh, Goretzka put the ball on the plate for Chupamotink, who scored the first goal. But I think Joshua Kimmich, you have to mention him, best player on the pitch. Uh, by a margin for me. His ability to receive the ball and pass the ball under pressure is fantastic. And I think he's, as good as he is, he doesn't get the recognition he deserves in terms of being one of Europe's top midfielders, which he really, really is. Uh, but it's it's not just his ability to receive and pass the ball, it's the range of passing which he offers, his defensive security and his all-round just immense ability at the top European level. But I think he's he deserves a lot more credit than he actually gets at times, uh, Joshua Kimmich. Bayern overall, I thought, as I say, brilliant knockout specialists. Yet again, when I was writing on the site the other day, uh, I spoke about how, yet again, it wasn't a classic Bayern performance. They're still not up to the levels of the likes, the likes of uh, Hansi Flick's Bayern a few years ago, but it's very much a work in progress there. But it's the same old Bayern as to the fact they're a well-oiled machine. Over the course of two legs, they comfortably dispatched of Paris Saint-Germain, who, yes, were very poor, could have scored in the first half. Vitinha saw his shot cleared off the line, but they never tested Bayern. Bayern's defence has been very resolute in recent times. Uh, Dio Upamecano, superb again. Massive improvement for him on the pitch this season. Uh, he had a poor start to his life at Bayern, but he's really turned himself around. He's brilliant at the World Cup for France as well. And I was reading last week a report that um, really intrigued me about how uh, Upamecano himself has been working with an opera singer alongside his football to... Uh, improve his leadership qualities to be louder on the pitch apparently apparently he's been working with um as i say an opera singer to work on his vocal cords and how to recover effectively with with, with that element of your body and i found that really interesting the the sort of effort that he's put on off the pitch obviously he's, he's stepped up on it but it's the effort off it as well to go away and as i say improve your leadership qualities which i think is it's a very interesting story i'd recommend uh reading into that for any listeners out there but him and Matthias Delict, brilliant last week. Delict's a very old-school defender. Uh, and then Upa Meccano, the, the two of them, they, fo they formed a very formidable partnership at times this season. Uh, Joao Cancelo was influential uh, in Serge Gnabry's goal, which did seal the tie. But I th I th as I say, I think Bayern were massive, were, were brilliant on Tuesday. In, in terms of they were frustrating, they were often, as I say, not a classic Bayern Munich performance, but over the course of two legs, they got the job done. And whether they can go on to win the competition, only time will tell. But I do think that they, they're always a team that you have to be wary of in the latter stages of competitions. As I say, PSG standpoint, another embarrassing European exit for them. The club seems to be in a massive state of disarray at the moment. Uh, there's been the reported arguments behind the scenes with sporting director Luis Campos. Lionel Messi has not, not, not reached the heights of the World Cup since his return after. Neymar's injury, there's always the rumours about Mbappe's future. 
And it's, it's going to be an intriguing intriguing period of time coming up for Paris Saint-Germain where they're in a position where, yet again, they've brought another manager in who's not done the job. And it, it gets to a point now where I've, I've I said last week where it, it get, it's not the manager's fault anymore. When you look at the level of coaches they've had, for example, Thomas Tuchel went on to win the Champions League just months after departing from Paris. Uh, Maurizio Pochettino is not a bad football manager. Same as Unai Emery. And same as Christophe Galtier now. And I'm intrigued to see what Paris Saint-Germain do, whether they keep Galtier in a job next season, and whether there will be wholesale change, whether Mbappe leaves, the likes of Neymar, Messi, who knows. It's going to be an intriguing uh, transitional period for Paris Saint-Germain, I'm expecting, in the next sort of 12 months. We saw on the same night, Tottenham went out with a whimper to AC Milan. They didn't do enough throughout the game at all. A very, very stupid red card incident from Christian Romero. But it seemed inevitable early on in the game that he was... If there was a man going to be sent off in that game, it would have been him. But they didn't do enough. And Milan still had chances over the 90 minutes to put the game to bed as well. You know, from a Tottenham standpoint, we saw Kane come close with a header at the end. But there was a, a real lack of impetus from Tottenham. In a, in a, in a position where you're 1-0 down at home in a knockout Champions League game, I think it was... a very, very embarrassing performance from Spurs. They did win at the weekend against Nottingham Forest. I don't think it writes all the wrongs. It, it, it seems like a very putting paper over the cracks situation for me at the moment. I think that they were, yet again, against the, against the Nottingham Forest side, which have been so poor away from home as well. I think Tottenham are in a situation where Conte won't be there next season. It's, I think it, it's more of a factor of a matter of when is he going to leave rather than if? Who do they bring in? I've seen reports about Luis Enrique, etc. I don't I don't think Pochettino should go back there. I think that's very much a backward step. I've seen Jamie Carragher uh, tweet about it last week, about it is a very much a backward step if Mauricio Pochettino was to return to North London. But they're in a situation where they have so much attacking talent. We saw Richarlison's interview last week, which did get cleared up by Conte. But whether the, whether that is truth behind that, we're not too sure. But I'm very, I'm very sceptical about his style of football, as I think many are. I think he's a very limited coach. He's a world-class manager. He's a born winner, Antonio Conte is. He will win football matches at any club that he's at. But with the attacking talent at his disposal and the football they're playing, like, is it likely that Harry Kane might leave in the summer? We don't know. But we saw Tottenham's most creative player, Dayan Kulisevsky, be subbed off for... I think it was one of the one of the centre backs, wasn't it? I can't remember who which centre back came on. It might have been Davinson Sanchez. I'm not too sure, but I think when you're sub, when you're bringing off your most creative player and most influential player when Son Heung-min has been so poor this season, Kulusevski has often had to take in recent weeks the mantle of being Tottenham's creator, as he did a lot of the time last season. But when you're bringing him off for a centre back, it, it's it's no wonder that it's it's, it's all gone sour at, at Tottenham. I think they're, they're in a very, very demoralised situation at the moment. I can't see them getting top four. I really can't. From a Milan standpoint, uh, the season is looking a lot more optimistic than what it was a month ago. Uh, we had They had a disastrous run of form. Uh, they lost, was it 4-0 to Lazio? They got uh, demolished by Inter in the Super Cup. Got demolished 5-2 by Sassuolo at home. But yeah, as, as I say, there's a lot more optimism around Milan at the moment. Uh, we see that they play tonight 
against Salonitana. A chance to go joint second with rivals Inter after results this weekend have gone in their favour. We saw Roma lose at home to Sassuolo last night. Atalanta losing to Napoli. As well as Lazio drawing 0-0. I believe I, 0-0. I can't remember who it was against, sorry. But yeah, Milan can go joint second along with Inter. Which I think is a, is a bit of a shock really after what was arguably a, a very disastrous run of form. Uh, goalkeeper Mike Maignan has returned and you can see the impact that he's had. Fantastic save against Tottenham late on with the Harry Kane header. And obviously a Champions League quarter-final. First one in a long time. There's a, As I say, it's a chance for Milan to, to kick on now and end the season in a much better favour than what, they, what it looked like was going to happen. And possibly get themselves back up there next year in terms of title race. I've seen reports about Brahim Diaz and whether he will sign permanently for Milan. We don't know. As for other English sides across Europe, we saw Manchester United comfortably dispatch of Real Betis on Thursday night. Manchester United were brilliant, I thought. Uh, Bruno was very, very effective in more central areas. It allowed uh, Valvegos to get on to the end of crosses a lot more. He will will obviously believe he should have found the net in the first half. He did eventually get his goal. And what a beautiful moment that was. For someone who's worked so hard for the team since his arrival, very likeable footballer, I think. As I say, he presses well, he works hard. He, he can be very creative and he, he, he deserved his goal over the course of the night. And seeing the pictures and videos showing his emotion from that night, I thought was fantastic. Manchester United in general uh, drew 0-0 to Southampton. Casemiro getting his second red card in the Premier League of the season, which means he will serve a four-game ban rather than a three-game ban. Uh, I didn't actually watch this game, so I could not comment too much. But from what I read, it was a very frustrating 90 minutes for United. Uh, Bruno did come close. is a shot saved by Bazuna, which hit the post. Uh, a lot of United fans I've seen on Twitter saying that it, they thought that was the moment that United were going to take the lead. But I don't think it's, a, it's, it's one of those performances where these things happen over the course of a season. You have these frustrating draws. Against Southampton, who seem to be a bit resurgent under Ruben Sellers at the moment, whether he can prong them up the table, I don't know. But um, only time will tell with that one. Inexperienced manager, somebody who they've uh, given the mantle till the end of the season, following on from Nathan Jones sacking. Brilliant against Leicester uh, last week, I must admit. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz has been a brilliant signing. We saw he scored two goals, I think, in the, in the Premier League at the moment. His uh, strike against Wolves and then his solo effort against Leicester. But from as I say, from a United standpoint, I think Thursday night they were fantastic. But I think this this stretch of games shows that United very much are a work in progress at the moment. Possible issues with David De Gea, whether he will be United's starting goalkeeper next season. It's very up in the air for me. I think Thursday night uh, highlighted massively uh, his main issues in terms of distribution. I've seen talk about the likes of David Raya from Brentford, who won't be signing a contract at the Bees next season. Uh, Diogo Costa would be the more expensive option. And um, whether United would want to fork out for the eighty million pound release clause, we don't know as of yet. But the ceiling that uh, Costa has in terms of a goalkeeper is ridiculous. I think he's he will be up there as one of Europe's best in years to come, and is arguably up there right now. Uh, I recommend checking him out. Uh, some of his highlights. Uh, for any listeners, if you haven't, 
I've, n- I've never seen a goalkeeper this comfortable on the ball in recent times. Obviously, we see Edison and Allison who can comfortably play uh, both short and long range passes. But some of it, you know, he's cost has registered assists before. He's a brilliant shot stopper. He commands his area well. And he also is a brilliant passer of the ball, which is something that United need. We see a lot of um, United uh, play do come from the back. We saw Lissandro Martinez, who was excellent Thursday. And I spoke about, spoke about him in my match report uh, following on from the from the tie. I thought his, his ability to be press resistant is very key for United, especially when they do lack a sort of first phase midfielder alongside Casemiro, who I think they're over-reliant on in terms of he's almost having to do two roles in one. At times, United, in as I say, I think I feel like they need a midfielder alongside him. They missed out on Frankie de Jong in the summer, who would perfectly fit the bill uh, for this team. They need somebody who can pick up the ball, progress the ball with, with pace, with power, and be a brilliant passer of the ball, which I think Fred isn't at times. I do like Fred, I think. He does take a lot of unwarranted uh, unwarranted stick. I think he's a good box-to-box player. He's nothing special, we know that, but he gives his all for, for Manchester United, and we've seen that in in his tenure so far since he's signed in, I think, 2018. But I do think there is too much reliance on Casemiro. And having this midf- if they were to bring in a midfielder, the likes of Frankie de Jong, uh, who, who, who's alternative to that? We saw Enzo Fernandez go to Chelsea, so that's not an option. I would have loved to see him in this Manchester United team, to be honest. I've seen uh, one of my favourite Twitter accounts, uh, HTO, uh, Manchester United fan. Uh, he always talks about Enzo and how you know he wishes he would have gone to United. And I, and I agree with that in a sense, as they, they need that sort of midfielder alongside Casemiro, who is not just a comfortable passer of a ball, but somebody who can carry the ball, somebody who's very press-resistant alongside Casemiro, who's a very, very good defensive midfielder. However, you can't rely on him to be the creative spark in there. We saw Bruno, I think he was very effective in the number 10 role against uh, Real Betis. I think he was, as I say, massively influential in those more central areas. We've seen him drift out to the right a lot this season, but I think this can take away a lot from the likes of Anthony, who was brilliant, I think, on Tuesday night, or Thursday night, sorry. A very frustrating player, but he's, he is very much a system player and he's when he operates at his best, I've spoken about it before, it's when he, he's allowed in the half spaces due to obviously movement from full-backs. I thought he was massively influential when Aaron Wan-Bissaka come on in the second half. Obviously, we saw his goal and then his attempted chip, which he probably should have passed the ball. Which, as I say, he can be a very frustrating player. But when he operates at his best, when he's got the players around him, he can be massive for, for a side as we saw with his brilliant finish. He's got a wand of a left foot. And we see when he operates in, in the more sort of central areas, in that half space, which he likes so much, he can offer you a, a worldie like he did on Thursday. He's not a touchline winger. He's not somebody with bags of pace who can beat men for fun. And I don't think people should expect that. I think he's been misprofiled a bit by some fans across the country in England, more because of the fact that they, you know, expect him to offer what Rashford does on the opposite side. But that isn't the type of player that Anthony is. And I'm looking forward to seeing him when Ten Hag does bring in players alongside him who do fit his system more. Because United are a work in progress. Don't get me wrong, they're, they're a few players away from being title challengers. But they we've seen them be impressive over the course of the season. But Eric Ten Hag's side really is a work in progress at the minute. And it's something to keep an eye on as to who they go for in the summer. Uh, centre forward possibly 
We've seen links with Kane. Uh, Gonzalo Ramos would be somebody that I would love to see. Because I feel with Kane, it's it's a case of do you want to be spending upwards of £80 million to then only get two or three years out of him at his best when the likes of you know Ramos or Ozzyman have got years at the top level. But what Kane does bring you is a guarantee of goals in the Premier League, which is massive for a side that want to be challenging for titles very soon as well. But I think the Europa League is well within their reach this season. I think they were fantastic against Betis. Only troubled really in that sort of 20-minute period of the first half where they did lose control massively. It goes back to the call out for a midfielder really alongside Casemiro. Iosi Perez, brilliant equaliser. But United did go on to win the game 4-1 and I thought over the course of the game they were scintillating at times. We saw Arsenal play away at Sport in Lisbon. Uh, only a 2-2 draw, which Arteta did speak about and say that, you know, to concede two goals away from home and still not lose the game uh, is a massive, a massive plus. Obviously, with the game going back to the Emirates, but I thought Sporting were brilliant. Uh, Ruben Amarim's side, it's, Amarim is a, is a young and inexperienced manager, but his side has become known in the last two years for this sort of high-intensity, energetic approach. And we saw that against Arsenal. Uh, Paulinho should have scored to probably put the game to bed at 3-1 but his shot went high and wide into the net very very, uh, very poor effort by the striker which did allow uh, Arsenal to get back into the game and as I say it was a good result for them but Amarim from, from a sporting side somebody definitely to watch out for as his career furthers and improves in the, in the coming years uh, Arteta's side did put this right on Sunday away at Craven Cottage I thought they were brilliant against Fulham Leandro Trossard, massively influential for the team. What a signing he's been. His hat-trick of assists, I think he's been brilliant in that role where he's sort of played centre-forward at times this season uh, with Gabriel Jesus being missing. But he's a very versatile player. He's brilliant in tight spaces. He's not blessed with bags of pace. But his ability on the ball, he can beat a man. He can put a, he can put a cross into the box. And he's a brilliant. But his ball-striking technique is, is fascinating to me. We've seen him score goals for, for both Brighton and now Arsenal uh, in the Premier League. And I think he's been brilliant signing. I think he was brilliant yesterday. And Martin Odegaard, brilliant goal to make it 3-0. But I think now, these Arsenal performances, now the likes of Jesus are coming back. They've had, to, they've had a few scrappy wins in recent times, some performances that have been under par. But yesterday was very much, very much back to their sort of best that we've seen this season. And now Jesus is back. I think this will kick them on towards the end of the season. Uh, the Premier League title race is something which I'll go on to speak about in more detail in a bit. Uh, we saw West Ham, the final English side left in Europe, to win 2-0 away in Larnaca in Cyprus. Uh, routine, routine victory. Mikel Antonio should have had a hat-trick. Uh, he was brilliant on the night. West Ham themselves went on to draw 1-1 uh, with Aston Villa at the weekend. From a Villa perspective, I've, I've heard a lot of reports about how poor they were. Uh, it's As I spoke about before, I think Villa is, Villa is another side that are a work in progress at times, really, within Emery, still yet to stamp his authority in terms of his own signings into the squad, etc. Uh, Ollie Watkins opening the scoring, uh, followed up by a side when Ben Rama equaliser from the spot. But I think that brings me on to speaking about the Premier League as a whole, really, and on Saturday, we saw Liverpool lose against Bournemouth. It's it's a funny world, the Premier League at times, isn't it? You, you know, you, you beat Manchester United 7-0 uh, last weekend, your arch rivals, and then 
go to the Vitality and end up losing 1-0 to Bournemouth. It's, it seemed written in the stars, really. We saw Philip Billings' early, early goal and then Mohamed Salah's awful penalty. A strange awful penalty, really. I think it, it, I, I knew after that moment that Liverpool wouldn't go on to get anything out of the game, really. I think it's, it's a strange one for Jurgen Klopp's side, really, because I think that, yeah, again, it's they, they go. I spoke about it last week about how they could possibly reignite their form with some brilliant performances, but it's they've been very inconsistent and they've done it multiple times this season where they've won a game comfortably, as they did with Bournemouth, the 9 0, and then go on the next week to drop points. And this is exactly the same this time. And I can't see them getting anything away at the Bernabeu this week. I think that's too much of an ask, even Liverpool on their day. I think. Away at Madrid, I think it's too much for them, really. Other big results across Europe we saw in the Tolta race this weekend. Manchester City beating Crystal Palace away 1-0. Uh, Erland Haaland, late penalty. Massive relief for Pep Guardiola's side. Especially with Arsenal's brilliant performance yesterday. It's important for City to keep up the momentum to sort of stay hot on their tails. Cause as I said recently, we've seen the likes of Jesus coming back for Arsenal. That could be a massive, massive, massive help going into the end of the season. And with City still yet to play Arsenal at the Etihad, it's it's about staying within reach because I, I personally I can't call it in terms of who I think will win because I think my head always seems to tell me that Manchester City will just pip it towards the end of the season. But I don't know, especially with Arsenal's performance away at Fulham yesterday. They seem to have a new dawn in terms of their old performances being back after a few scrappy performances, but it seems to be written in the stars for me. It's what my heart's saying one thing, my head's saying another, and I really can't call that at the moment. And it's something that we will get more clarity with as the season goes on. Uh, across Europe, in other title races, we saw Bayern Munich beat Augsburg comfortably. Joao Cancelo, fantastic goal. Recommend going and checking that out if you haven't seen it. Uh, but Borussia Dortmund title rivals, Dropped points in the Revere derby against Schalke at 2-2. Disappointing result, really, especially considering their form. But we always know in football that anything can happen in local derbies, and that, that was the case on Saturday. A fantastic uh, pyro display is shown before the game. Uh, something that we saw last week away at Stamford Bridge. Uh, but I think Dortmund weren't at their best. And whether the Champions League game against Chelsea took a toll on them uh, with their recent unbeaten run as well, I don't know. Whatever that effect has had in the dressing room, only time will tell. But I think they're they're still a very good side, and they're still well within the title race, of course, with them hosting Bayern Munich on the first of April, I believe, Saturday the first of April, uh, in the Classica at Signaladuna Park. That that will I spoke about it the other day when I when I when I said on the website about uh, Bayern Munich. That will be arguably the most important the Classica fixture we've seen in a long time, especially towards the end of the season, where Bayern themselves haven't been, as I say, the classic Bayern Munich that are almost inevitable winners, but they are very much a well-oiled machine. But Borussia Dortmund can beat anyone on their day. Fantastic against Leipzig last week. Uh, on the, I think it was on the Friday night, wasn't it? They were brilliant, and they have been brilliant in recent times. Julian Brandt, they were missing last week at Chelsea, granted. But the attacking talent they have in that team and the way Aiden Terzic sets up, they can beat anyone on their day and I'm massively looking forward to that fixture. Uh, we saw Barcelona uh, win away at Athletic Bilbao. Uh, yet again, Barca haven't gone off the boil in recent weeks. 
but they haven't been that same scintillating best that we've seen over the early stages since the World Cup break. But yet again, another important victory for them on the way to what they hope to be a La Liga winning season. We saw over in Italy, as I said earlier, some in, some interesting results. Napoli winning 2-0 at home to Atalanta. Uh, Cavalaschelia's goal, fantastic goal. One of my goals of the weekend. Shifted it onto his, onto his right foot and hammered it uh, into the Lazio net. It was brilliant. And, and the punditry reactions that I've seen on Twitter were, were brilliant as well. Uh, Kvaratskhelia is somebody that I've seen getting linked again with moves to England. I can't see it happening, especially with the upward curve that Napoli are on. They won't just hope to win the league this year, but they'll hope to maybe even potentially push further on in Europe this season and then see where they can go next season as well because I think they've been my favourite team to watch in Europe this season and the best in Europe alongside Arsenal with probably Barcelona just behind them. But they've been immense. Kim Min Jae was described by uh, Coach Spalletti as being the best centre-half in the world at the moment and to be honest, I can't... I, I wouldn't even disagree with him being up there at the moment. I think he's not just a brilliant defender but he's got so much pace and so much power about him brilliant ball playing centre back as well which is massively important for this Napoli side as I say I, I love watching them and I love Kovaratskhelia is probably my favourite player in Europe at the moment I think he's different a different different class at the moment Victor Rosiman again massive for his side whether he gets that move to a Premier League side in the summer I don't know there's been talk about Manchester United uh, talks about him and Ramos, of course. But for me, it's, as I say, Napoli are probably my favourite side to watch in Europe this season. I think they are for a lot of people. I don't know if I want to see those moves happen. Maybe not just yet. I would love to see Napoli have that sort of few years of dominance like we saw Juventus have. They've been a different class to the rest of Serie A. Granted, there have been some poor sides up there in Serie A this season. Inter were inconsistent earlier in the season. Milan had their poor run. We saw Juventus point deduction. Uh, Lazio and Roma haven't been at their best. Roma lost last night to Sassuolo. Paolo Dybala again, the best player on the pitch. A fantastic goal. Yet again, another thing that I recommend you go and look at if you haven't seen it already. Fantastic finish from the Argentine, who has been Roma's best player this season. And they're shining light in, at times when they've been very poor. He's been the man to drag them through games. Uh, we saw them last week in the Europa Conference League beating Real Sociedad. No, Europa League, sorry, not Conference League. The Conference League is what they won last year. Uh, we saw them beat Real Sociedad in the Europa League comfortably. I think they're going to win the two legs. And they're always a side to watch out for in, in the last stages of a competition, especially with, as I say, the likes of Dybala and Abraham. Belotti's performed well at times when he's been called upon this season. But I think they were poor against Sassuolo. We saw the, we saw the red card uh, for Roma in the first half, which did really set the tone for the game there. Domenico Berardi was brilliant for Sassuolo. We saw his penalty. Massively, massive impact for, for Sassuolo. Brilliant under Deserbi a few years ago, actually. hasn't They haven't hit the same heights since. Obviously, losing key players. Locatelli going to Juve. Uh, Scamacca going to West Ham in the summer. But Berardi, yet again, the real talisman of that side. In what, what ended up being quite a comfortable victory. Conceded towards the end to make it 4-3, but um, I never felt like they were in any danger at the Olympico. And on their day, they they can be an annoying side to play against, as we saw against Milan when they, quite frankly, tore AC Milan apart, five goals to two, 
at San Siro. So in the final segment of the show, I would just like to t- probably touch on VAR. Yet again, another disappointing weekend for all those involved with the organisation surrounding referees. If you didn't watch the Newcastle Wolves game yesterday, a few questionable decisions. I'll touch on first probably the less controversial one. Uh, Nelson Samedo arguably could have seen red. I've seen a few views on Twitter say it should have been maybe yes or no. Uh, VAR did decide against that with a yellow card saying that it wasn't, it wasn't a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. Uh, but in the first half, uh, Raul Jimenez uh, nicking the ball from Nick Pope, who I think for most people watching will agree that he probably should have had his second suspension in a row. I think it was a very, very stupid decision from him, but that, that's not the point I'm making in, in this instance. I think that yet again, it's a mockery has been made throughout sort of the division in terms of VAR. We've seen Jamie Carragher spoke brilliantly on it yesterday uh, on Twitter uh, when he spoke about the fact that why isn't referee Andy Madley looking at that on the screen? Uh, we don't know, but it's yet again, it's another issue that seems to be arising quite a lot this season where referees don't go and look at the screen, for instance, they probably should do. There's been some very, very harsh offsides this weekend. We saw Richarlison. I've, for the life of me, I can't figure out where the offside is with that incident uh, against Nottingham Forest. But it's it's... For me, with VAR, I want to give my personal opinion on it. I think, for example, to be so meticulous with certain issues like the offside we saw with Richarlison on Saturday, but then to be so almost lackadaisical with certain like issues where we've seen, yet again, Wolves involved, where Liverpool away in the FA Cup, where VAR didn't have the cameras available, so went with the on-field decision. Uh, yesterday, it was said to go with the on-field decision because it wasn't believed to be a clear and obvious error. And I think if you watch that game, it's baffling to think that. And I, it's, I, yet again, it's, I don't want to seem like it's a Wolves issue. It's certainly not. It's, it's an issue that is almost European-wide now. We're seeing issues with, with VAR across the continent where, for example, referees are looking at certain incidents, not looking at incidents that need to be looked at. And I think it's causing a lot a lot of controversy for something which was brought in to take away controversy. And I think that is that is my main my main issue with VAR, to be honest. I think if you're gonna have technology, that's that's all fine. Then you use the technology to its best to, to its best ability. VAR can't wasn't brought in to bring more controversy and it was brought in to stop it. And I think that's what's so baffling at the moment with VAR that we're leaving games with having constant discussions. As 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 of yesterday Newcastle were fantastic, thoroughly deserved to beat Wolves over the course of the 90 minutes. And it takes away some of that sort of buzz after the game where they should be talking about Newcastle. Newcastle should have been the, the focus of yesterday's game and certain elements where Wolves were poor, etc. But it's not. We're, we're coming away from football matches talking about referees and even with the technology available, we're still not reaching correct decisions across across the board, across European divisions as a whole. And I think it's happening far too much as I say, it seems to be every week where we're seeing controversial decision after controversial decision. We had the one week where we saw uh, the one against uh, Chelsea, wasn't it? Chelsea-West Ham uh, with the handball incident. We, we almost seem as if every week there's a decision to be made. Yesterday, was it a red card for Casemiro? Eric Ten Hag has come out and questioned that. We saw yet again, as I say, the incident in the Wolves game where Raul Jimenez was taken out in the box 
with no attempt for Nick Pope to win the ball. And it's yet again, and that's it was something I'd like that I wanted to touch on really because, as I say, I'd love to know anyone's thoughts on VAR because I think as a, as a principle it can help and it can bring a lot to the game if it's used correctly. And we're in a position now where technology that we brought in to stop controversial decisions being made is now being used in a way that brings about a controversial decision what seems like every single week. And I think fans across the country are getting fed up with that now where people's enjoyment is being sucked out of the game, where it almost seems as if there's a a third party influence that is having an effect. And as I say, it's, it's, it's a line that you can't cross because it's a, there's a very thin line between a victim mentality of thinking that everyone's always against out to get your team when that, that isn't true. The fact of the matter is, is that VAR is used incorrectly. And I, as I say, it was something that I needed to mention on this week's episode because yet again, we've seen poor refereeing across the board, which is them now being being marred by poor decisions as well, off it with VAR. And it's a massive shame really because as I say, we had a fantastic game yesterday between Newcastle and Wolves. Again, when Newcastle got back on track, brilliant goal from Miguel Almiron, Alexander Rizak was fantastic. But we're leaving football matches talking about a decision that happened in the first half and that, that shouldn't be the case. And yeah, I just, as I say, I just thought it was something that I needed to talk about really. But overall, that is all I have for you this week yet again. I don't want to end the video on a, a negative point talking about VAR, but it was something I wanted to mention. And I thank you all for listening. Next week, we will be touching base with all of the Champions League second legs happening this week. We've got Real Madrid uh, hosting Liverpool and the likes of Manchester City who host RB Leipzig Inter, away at Porto and Napoli host Eintracht Frankfurt in what should be another intriguing week in the Champions League. We see another weekend of Premier League football next week. Big games down in the bottom half of the table. Uh, We see Wolves uh, playing host to Leeds, for example. We see uh, Aston Villa hosting Bournemouth, Brentford against Leicester as well as Chelsea, who look to carry on their form against Everton. Across Europe, we see Milan, resurgent Milan, away at Udinese. Uh, we see Atletico Madrid, who've been very resurgent in recent weeks, actually, uh, hosting Valencia, struggling Valencia. So all of that will be on next week's Eurofocus Football Podcast. Thank you very much for listening this week, and I will see you all next week. And stay tuned to the website for any news and updates across the week. Thank you very much.